strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I'm very important. Uh, I have any leather-bound book, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. I, I'm friends with Merlin Olsen, too. He comes over on occasion. Back behind this microphone. It's been a long time. It's almost like doing a doing a podcast for the first time all over again. Well, my name is Johnny Doe. This is Strange Things Are Foot at the Circle K. If you are an avid listener of this podcast, you might have been thinking, what the fuck? Is that podcast over? Has he quit? Has he packed it up? Um, no. But uh, I don't want to say here's here's um, the part of the podcast where I start making excuses for not putting episodes up. Um, I can say I was extremely busy, but that's a cop-out because um, if you want to do something, you enjoy doing something, um, you're ambitious, even a little bit, you can find time to, to pursue whatever you want to pursue. This just hasn't been a priority for me, I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, it's not hard to, to do a podcast that's, you know, an hour long. Uh, I will say I, I did two or three that I never uploaded because I just didn't like, I felt like they were forced and it was very important for me not to, not to put up a podcast just to do it. Um, I know one of the things that I disagree with, with some of my fellow podcasters is they say, um, you know. You just got to keep doing it, be consistent. And if it sucks, then just bury it with more content. I understand what they're saying because yeah, it's important that you just kind of drive through some of those mental blocks or not everything can be a gym, but even in the, in the very loosest sense of the word, this is supposed to be entertainment, um, on some level, um, it's supposed to be informative. You're supposed to have a perspective. You, you shouldn't just be wasting people's time. So I felt a couple podcasts that I that I did that I didn't put up. I just felt like I was doing them to do them, and I was forcing them, and I, I, I wasn't really feeling it. I didn't feel like doing it, and I was just doing it to do it. So I don't ever want to insult somebody's uh, time by saying, Hey, I want you to invest an hour and there's never going to be any payoff. There's not going to be a perspective. There's not going to be humor. There's not going to be a good story, a life lesson, anything. It's just going to be me talking. Now, sometimes you might think that, but I can't knowingly give you that um, coming from this side of the microphone. So that's why I haven't been doing it just because I haven't been feeling it. It just hasn't been a priority of mine. So uh, I've been kind of getting the itch to do another one. Uh, there's lots of subjects that I like to, that I wanted to cover, but you know, every single day, it seems like there's something else in the news. And I was like, Oh, I, I got to say something about this. So I, you know, wait a day or I work late one night or something. And then I come home and something else is in the news that gets me fired up. So I never, it just seems like you can't hardly wrap your head around some of these things to really get a good perspective. What I think that we're doing now is we're just giving like snap judgments, knee-jerk reactions, if you will. You're, we're not really getting a chance to uh, digest what we're seeing 
really see it from uh, different perspectives. Whoa. I'm sure the microphone picked that up. I have a fucking stupid-ass neighbor that um, has, like, open headers on his giant fucking old, what is that, like an old Bronco or something from, like, the early 80s. Piece of shit car. But it's loud as fuck. Not in a good way either. Some people think it's just loud is good. But there's a good loud and then there's a bad loud. Like, yeah. Like your your wife screaming because uh, you are pleasuring her in the bedroom. That's a good loud. Her screaming at you because you didn't mow the lawn or do the dishes. That's a bad loud. Okay, well, listen to this. That is not a NOS energy drink, and it just got all over my desk. Um, A while back, I stopped drinking NOS, and then I started again. Hold on, let me clean this up. Um, I still drink it, but maybe three three times a week, three cans a week, that's about it. Um, I, I find that caffeine addiction is a real thing in the sense of, uh, from a f- physiological standpoint, if I don't, if I have a whole bunch of caffeine a couple of days in a row and I don't have it one day, I go through withdrawals and pretty severe. Um, one of the reasons I stopped with the NOS every single day is because when I would have to stop for like medicals or whatever else that I have to do in the army, um, that I would have such such severe withdrawals that sometimes I'd be throwing up and it was almost like I, I had the flu. I mean, no shit. It was that severe. And so I was like, man, this can't be good if my body is this dependent on it. So I, I just cut it out for like 45 days, didn't didn't have a energy drink or anything. Um, now, I still had coffee in the morning and, and stuff like that, but not to the, you know, I was having a couple cups of coffee and a NOS. And anyway, let me uh, summarize this. But anyway, the uh, I kind of got through that and I was like, well, you know, I'm a pretty relatively healthy person. I can have a energy drink every once in a while. So I started doing kind of an every other day thing. And even that I felt like I was having some withdrawals sometimes. So now it's just, um, I, I try to just kind of listen to my body and, and not overdo it. Um, so this is a Zion's energy drink and, and I drink those from time to time and there's no sugar, there's no calories. I'm sure there's a, there's still an abundance of caffeine in it, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's like, okay, if I'm going to have the caffeine, I shouldn't have all the other shit with it. So, um, just decided to pick one of these up. I like them. Okay. This is the mango guava day drink. Yep. That's what I remember it tasting like. So, um, you know, it's, it's okay. So what's been going on? Um, lots, a lot's changed in the last couple months. If you've listened to the podcast leading up to this, I, I moved to a different state. I moved jobs. Um, little, I don't want to say a career change. I'm still in the military. I'm still doing uh, the same job that I was doing before. But, you know, when you go to a new community, you're dealing with the public. You are kind of out, out of your element. You don't know anybody. It's basically uh, an almost a a brand new job. I'm having to relearn everything um, from the paperwork uh, is different up here. 
the, uh, of course the community is different. The people are different. Um, the environment's different. Uh, I don't know anybody. And so it's taken me completely out of my comfort zone. I've, I alluded in previous podcasts that I needed a new challenge in my life. And that's what this is. It's every single day I go into work, I'm super motivated cause I'm, I'm scared of failure. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, kind of driven me to break some bad habits I was getting into, um, before where, you know, what kind of started to get, getting me thinking about, um, that I was getting a little too complacent, a little too comfortable is my job in the military. I kind of make my own hours. Um, I, I need to put in some hours, but as long as I get said result that they're wanting, it really doesn't matter if I work five hours a day or 15 hours a day. Now, with that being said, there's a certain amount of discipline that's expected of you being in the military to show up, you know, at a certain time in uniform, clean shaven, you know, looking good, ready to work, work hard, all that good stuff. Well, I got to a point of success in my previous job that I... I could get away with being lazy and not working near as hard um, and just not putting forth a big effort. Uh, so much to the point that it was, I was extremely self-conscious because I was the, the top guy out of like 47 guys that, that did my job as a recruiter. I was the top guy and I wasn't even trying. And it, was, and it wasn't because I was hot shit or anything. It's just, I just had a, had a method of, um, getting production without doing a lot of work. Um, so I felt myself being lazy. I felt myself, uh, complaining a lot and I didn't have anything that was driving me forward. I didn't have anything that was really challenging me that I was wanting to accomplish. I just, I just felt unchallenged, unfulfilled. So making this move up here has definitely, uh, filled that gap where it's extremely challenging. Um, every single day is I'm learning something that I have, or I'm having to relearn stuff. I'm having to get back to fundamentals. I'm having, I can't rest on my laurels. Uh, you know, it's weird when you move to a new area. Um, you know, people always say, Oh, this area here, people are so nice. You know, I'll tell you right now, every single place I've ever lived and ever gone, you know, people are people. Yeah, there's people that are a little bit more abrasive over here or or, or whatever, um, but people are people. And if you go to, let's say, New York uh, or the East Coast in general, people are probably less trusting. Um, you know, they're, they're used to dealing with strangers all the time. They, you know, they, they got their guard up all the time. But when you get to know them fundamentally, uh, you have your assholes, you have your really nice, sweet people, and you have everything in the middle. Um, you know, I've, I've met people on the trains in Chicago that were super nice and super help, helpful. And I've been in, you know, down south or in the Midwest and met just complete assholes. So uh, I'm not a big believer that certain parts of the country have uh, nicer people. I will say in certain parts of the country, though, they there I don't want to say a fake politeness but it's just there's an expectation of at least treating people and acknowledging them uh, just a little bit different 
And people up here definitely do that. They're extremely nice. But once you scratch beneath the surface, you realize that, you know, people are, are very are very tribal and they're very territorial. And as soon as they realize that you're a quote-unquote outsider, you know, their guard goes up a little bit. You know, you have the people that, um, that they want to share, like, oh, we want you to come here and um, experience what we experience. But then you have the people that they don't want you here. They, it's like, we, we, this is our thing. You go do your thing. And they almost see you as coming into their community and kind of like exploiting it, taking advantage of it. And you don't have any, you know, you're not trying to make roots or whatever else. And so you have to earn people's trust. I, I knew that coming into this and I, I've done it in a couple different jobs before. Uh, so I don't mind that. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge to convince people that you're here for the right reasons. You wanted to be here. You wanted to move here. You see value in their community and in their people. Um, but as soon as you start, um, I don't know, pontificating about what it is to what they should be trying to achieve or trying to get or giving them advice the guard goes up because you're not from here. You don't understand the people. You don't understand the culture, whatever else. And um, yes and no. People are people. Is that a song? People are people. Something, something, something. Okay. I think it is. <clears throat> but I guess what am I trying to get at? Um Basically, you know, when you're dealing with um, people that are very much, there's, they're very much tied to, okay, we'll, we'll say where I'm at in Wyoming, there's a lot of ranching, there's a lot of, you know, cowboy life, country type stuff. Um, and it's different than Kansas where it was more farming. Um, but there's a certain type of stereotypical person that's a little bit more prevalent here in a different mindset. And they definitely don't want to hear other ideas. They don't want that to change. They're, they're, they're very proud of their community and what it is and what it's not. And so they're very leery of an outsider coming in, trying to change any of that. Even if you're not the perception is that you might be trying to give advice um, and not understand where they're coming from sort of thing. So I guess to, to sum up what I'm trying to say is it's, it's, uh, I definitely found my challenge up here. Uh, I'm extremely happy about where I'm at. I, I've always, always, um, appreciated a challenge. I've always appreciated a lot of, I don't want to say pressure being put on me, but um, there being an expectation because when you achieve something, then it just, it feels really good. And when you don't, it, I almost feel like it's, I don't want to say you got a free pass, but when you're doing something hard and you fail, it's, I, I've never really beat myself up about that because I know that it's hard. Now it's easy to beat yourself up when it's something that you expect to win at and you don't. 
So I really like to challenge myself. And, and then if I fail, of course, try to learn something from it, but also give myself a break and knowing what I'm doing is difficult. So I'm not always going to win. Um, and that's kind of, uh, what's driven me throughout, throughout my life is do something hard and then you don't beat yourself up if, if you don't exactly make it all the way. And if you do, then it's really something to hang your hat on and be proud of. So, um, you know, my wife, uh, got a job up here. She's, uh, enjoying life up here as, as am I. Uh, but there's a lot more to life than just, you know, the ancillary, having fun on the weekends and stuff like that. Uh, I always say you really have to love what you do for a job because it, it's not necessarily defines you as a person, but you do, it takes up so much of your time and so much of your thoughts. So you, you really have to find a good um, balance in your life, but you can't just be miserable at a job and think that you're, eight or 12 hours off, you know, when you, when you come home is going to, is going to fill all those gaps for you. It's hard to just shut it off. Um, every, every job that I've ever worked and everybody that I've ever talked to they're they're, they're going to have levels of stress at their job. I don't care what it is. Um, you know, there was a time that I was a professional artist and you would think that, Oh, there's no stress in that job, but it was extremely stressful. It was a different kind of stress. It was more of a stress of I have little control over my my own destiny because I depended on so many other people that I worked with or worked for or to get my paycheck or to make deadlines or whatever else. There was just it, it just it just felt a little bit more chaotic. Um, where in the military it's a lot more structured, and you know, hey, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm always going to have some kind of value to this organization. Um, if I want to go overboard and go do more then maybe I'll get more out of it. If I want to do less, you know, I could get punished or I can't be part of the military anymore or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a different kind of stress. So you're always going to have it, but if you enjoy it and you, uh, feel, um, fulfilled by what you do, you think it's, it's, it's healthy for you. Uh, then you're doing something, something good. Uh, a lot of people, I know I did when I was younger, you kind of fall in love with this romanticized idea that there's a perfect job out there and what am I meant to do? And you always have some kind of idea. And I use the word romantic idea because um, you think that it's going to be all just fun and pleasurable and, um, you can do whatever you want to do. And I'm my own boss and all that stuff. That's just, you know, a very shallow existence and it's a very immature way of looking at life. I I've said it on this podcast before. They call it work for a reason because they don't call it fun. They don't call it relaxing. They call it work because it is, it's work, but you, you need that in your life. You need it. You know, if you get in a time machine, find ancient man a thousand years ago, you know, you're, you're hunting, you're gathering, you're trying to just stay alive. No matter if it's from the elements, from wild animals, from other people trying to find clothes, shelter and food, and that's it. And that's, it was all encompassing. 
and it made you tough. It made you resilient or it made you dead. Well, fast forward to now, you don't have to worry about that as much. Even people that are impoverished in this country, for the most part, have food and shelter, um, even if they're on some kind of public assistance or whatever else. But if you're you know, middle class or upper middle class, you definitely don't have, you never worry about food and shelter. And so what you're worried about is affluence. You're worried about uh, achievement and having nice stuff and uh, making a car payment that you probably you know, can't afford or a mortgage payment or something else. And that's the pressure of, Oh my God, I'm going to lose my house. Well, you're about to lose a house that you can't afford in the first place. So it's a different kind of, a different kind of stress. Um, but it's a, it's a good thing to always have something in your life that kind of keeps you alert and keeps you on your toes and, uh, takes you out of your comfort zone. Life isn't always about being comfortable. Uh, it's it's good to have that balance of that yin and yang of I'm uncomfortable and now I can enjoy when I'm comfortable and then get back to being comfortable. There's a saying that I have is, you know, find uh, comfortability in being uncomfortable. And there's a lot of truth to that is if you put yourself in uncomfortable positions long enough or semi-stressful positions or even things you don't like to do, it becomes something where you can handle it. You you might never enjoy it. You might never uh, get to a point where you look forward to it, but it doesn't stress you out to, to, to try to ponder, can I accomplish this? You know, you can do it. It's just, ah, shit, I got to do this, but I don't want to. And, and, it takes a little bit of stress and it's just more of a, uh, you, you put your head down, you work hard and you get through it and it, and it does give you a certain confidence that, Hey, when this comes up again, which I know it will, all I got to do is put my head down and plow through it and work hard and I can get to the other end relatively unscathed. So to me, that's what your goal should be in life is, is find a lot of things that you're uncomfortable with. Um, it's kind of like working out when you're when you're trying to get in shape. You know, I was listening to this guy on on a, on a podcast talking about working out, and it's something I've I've heard before and said before. Um, easier said than done when you're working out, but people tend to gravitate toward the exercises that they enjoy, that they like. It's like, oh, I like bench press, or I like running, or jumping rope, or hitting a heavy bag, or whatever that their forte is. But if you enjoy doing it, then you're not going to really grow because it's, if you enjoy it, then it's not very hard. It's not very challenging. It's definitely not mentally taxing. So if you really want to challenge yourself at the gym and get some new gains, especially if you're a weightlifter, you always find those exercises that are hard. And if they're hard, it's because your body is weak. And if your body's weak, then the only way to get it stronger is to do what it's weak at. If it's already strong at it, then you're, what are you doing? You know, your, your only thing you are is it's almost like you're just confirming that you're strong and you're just performing something. You're, 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 um, solidifying something that you already know. Hey, I'm really good at bench press. I can bench a lot. So let me bench more. Um, but if you really suck at pull-ups and go, man, I am no good at pull-ups. Well, it's cause you're weak. There's something, there's a deficiency there. And that is a good, um, 
you know, metaphor for life. You find where you're deficient, you find where you're weak and gravitate toward that. Like I still get nervous speaking in front of people, but I really enjoy it. It's a weird dichotomy because, um, I I've, you know, taught in the military. Um, I've taught in middle school. I've, uh, you know, done ROTC stuff. I've had to speak in front of large numbers of people many times. And I almost always get nervous when I do it. Uh, not always, but I mean, it, especially if it's a new group of people, how about that? If it's a new group of people, I'm always going to be nervous, but I, but I kind of, it's a, it's a good nerves. Cause I want to, I know I'm going to be nervous. I know I'm going to step on my tongue or whatever else, but I know all I got to do is keep doing it. And I'm going to, I'm going to get through it. And I feel like it, it, elevates me to another level because I have to figure out a way to still uh, achieve what I'm trying to achieve when I'm speaking to this group of people and get through a lot of nerves and hardship and and um, fear. And it feels good when you can do it because there's so many people that you know have a paralyzing fear of public speaking. And so if you can not be afraid to do it, then you already have an advantage because sooner or later you're going to be asked to do it. And if you've done it a hundred times before, even if you're not super comfortable, you know, you can get through it. It's not that not as big of a deal. Um, so find what you're weak at, find your deficiency and steer toward that. I've, you know, I've done it and it's, it's, I'll, I'm never going to say that you, you become the best at it, that you are, you know, someone that's a natural at certain things are always, you know, going to be better at that. But there's, there's such a good gratifying feeling about being something, being very good, not great, but being very good at something that is not in your wheelhouse. It's just through hard work that you develop that skill. Um, there's, there's something gratifying about that you've met those people that they have a very, Oh, what's the word? Um, exuberant personality. And people just gravitate toward them and they're just great storytellers. They're great in a crowd. They love being the center of attention. Um, but you can easily take them out of their element and make them do something else that's not like that. Um, and they're very uncomfortable, right? Well, if, if you can be, you don't have to be dynamic in that way, but if you can just hold your own and you can speak in front of a crowd or whatever else, and that is not what your God given ability or the gift that you were born with then it gives you confidence that anything else that you want to do, you know that you can get better at it and everything becomes less scary. The, the, the point of my, of of this discussion is that from an early age, when I was a kid, there was a lot of things that I was fearful of. Um, I was just a scared kid. I was scared of everything. And until I decided to battle some of those fears, uh, I remained being frightened and frightened to the point of being paralyzed that I didn't accomplish very normal things. 
um, like graduating high school and stuff like that, just based on fears. There's fears are the reason I didn't do well in school. It wasn't because I wasn't smart or because I was um, a bad kid or anything like that. It was just it was just my own fears. Is I let my fears control my life until I was probably about you know seventeen or eighteen years old. And once I decided, I made a conscious choice to do some things that I was kind of afraid of, um, things that that I knew that right off the bat I was going to fail at them, and I didn't care. Once you stop giving a shit about the the winning or losing, and you just the the objective is to do it, um, you realize this isn't near as scary as just sitting there worrying about it, and you just do it. Because you're not so busy thinking about what you're scared of when you're actually doing that thing that you're scared of. When you're doing it, you're focused on trying to live through it or trying to get through it. So once I figured that out, I started attacking the things that I was scared of. Um, no matter if it was a fear of heights or a, a you know a fear of of um, learning. Uh, I, I thought I was stupid for a long time. So uh, when I finally went to college, I was so nervous that, I, man, maybe I'm an idiot and I, I'm going to fail all my classes and things like that. But I still enrolled in school. Um, when you know, I joined the military, I was extremely fearful. Um, all the different things in the military that I've accomplished, I was very fearful of those things. Um, you know, I can name two dozen things. But now sitting here uh, at my at my house at 43 years old, there are still things that I don't even want to use the word fearful, but I'm apprehensive to do them, but I'm not scared to, I know that I can do them. I know I just, you know, I don't procrastinate near as much as I used to. I still do, but it's more of a, I don't, I don't feel like doing that right now, but I still have a, there's a certain confidence in my procrastination and the confidence comes from, well, I know I'm not doing it. Why The reason why I'm not doing this, whatever that is, is not because of fear anymore. It's just because I don't feel like doing it right now. But when I procrastinate because I'm actually afraid of something because I don't want to face whatever I need to face, then that's, that's a problem. And when I identify that, most of the time uh, I, I try to alleviate that and fix it because you just can't live your life like that, having those deficiencies. So think about all the things that you don't like to do or think the, and the things that you don't like to do that are holding you back. I don't like to swim with sharks, but I don't think that holds me back. So I'm not going to jump in the ocean and start swimming with sharks. Um, it could, I guess, if you were like a marine biologist or something, I don't know, kind of grasping at straws here, but Whatever that is that you feel like you got to get better at, um, it's not about being the best. <coughs> it's about being adequate that you can get through the stuff that you're not good at so you can at least um, get to the things that you do excel at and, and, and you're balanced. If you haven't figured it out yet, that's what life is all about, balance. So... Okay, what else is going on? Um, watched uh, McGregor Mayweather last night. I uh, can't say that I'm surprised. It 
it uh, pretty much went the way that I thought, except I really thought that uh, Floyd Mayweather would piece up McGregor a little bit more. He, he didn't. Um, I mean, he definitely beat him. Um, but it was one of those things that if if Conor McGregor had didn't get fatigued, it would have been a lot closer than what people would have thought. It He didn't get outclassed in the way that I thought that he would. It was he got outclassed once that he didn't have the energy to do what he's capable of doing, if that makes sense. Now, part of that is just because he it was the unknown. Floyd Mayweather was kind of cautious and stuff like that. But um, I do think if, if Conor McGregor had the cardio and had the energy, I mean, when Mayweather was pushing forward and being very aggressive and trying to knock out McGregor, all he'd have to get, you know, only thing that would have to happen is him get caught one or two times by McGregor and it would keep him from stepping forward. And he was saying, well, I kept coming forward because his power wasn't all that. Yeah, because he was fatigued. But, you know, he got he didn't get reckless or he didn't really let his hands go until McGregor really kind of couldn't defend himself anymore. Um, but Floyd looked very apprehensive and almost scared in the first three rounds or so. Uh, so I was impressed that McGregor, um, it was definitely a victory for him, a moral victory in that way. Uh, but I'm not surprised, and and boxing is such a flawed combat sport because it's there's just too many rules. There's too many stupid, just dumb fucking rules. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to McGregor going back to mixed martial arts and showcasing his true talents of uh, you know against true you know combat um, warriors. Boxing just isn't, you know, I used to like boxing as a kid, and now when you see it, you you see what McGregor does in the ring or in the octagon, and then you see him in the boxing ring, and it just, it's a letdown because it's just, there's just, I mean, look at their faces. Didn't even look like they were in a fight. It's just such a, it's a sport, it and uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just not for me. It's not something I would want to watch all the time, so. Um, he made a lot of money, and if that's your thing, I mean, trust me, if I had the opportunity to make $100 million, I'm sure I wouldn't pass it up either. But, um, you know, he made his brand bigger, made his name bigger. Um, and I'm not the biggest Mayweather fan or uh, McGregor fan. I don't, I, I've, I think I've picked against him just about every single fight. Um, but I have a, so much respect for that dude because I think he is the epitome of what this country has to offer people like him and is also the reason why I, I, I truly believe that most people, they really don't like capitalism. They don't like America as much as they think they do. Okay. Let me, let me break it down this way. If you say that you love America and what America stands for, then that means that you love the story of someone like Conor McGregor. And that's somebody that you're rewarded not from your hard work. You're rewarded for your hard work and your persistence, your talent, your ambition, and you take every single opportunity um, and you make the most of it. You know, that's what success is in this country. It's hard work uh, intersects with opportunity. And he had the opportunity and it just the stars aligned, not because of luck, it's because he was the right type of person. 
he was the it was the right time as far as the UFC where it was at in the kind of in the lexicon of of uh, sports fandom and um he had uh, the talent and the work ethic so all those things combined made him into that superstar well you see other UFC fighters and they bitch that they don't get paid as much as Conor McGregor and they just don't understand that that's anti-American <laughs> that you're talking about having a fighters union because you don't think it's fair that someone like Conor McGregor makes all the money and you make peanuts. But if, if I bought, I'm not even a boxing fan. I I've never bought a boxing pay-per-view since the Mike Tyson days. And if Conor McGregor can make me shell out a hundred bucks to watch him box, how do you say that that guy doesn't deserve a, a big chunk of my money and you only deserve a small chunk? Because these guys that are bitching that they're not making any money, they're on the undercard or they're not the main event or whatever, but I didn't buy the pay-per-view for them. So you take them off the pay-per-view, I still would buy it, okay? Or if I'm not buying it, you put them on the pay-per-view, I don't then buy it. And so I, 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 I sometimes think that people are confused, that they think because I am working so hard and I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do and I deserve and, and I'm owed and I'm entitled to something. There's nothing about the American dream that says if you work hard that you get the same thing as someone else that works hard. You have to find your niche and you have to find a way to... Um, set yourself apart. So if you have Target and Walmart, they're essentially the same store. They really are. A few, you know, some subtle differences, but they're about the same store. Uh, but certain people shop at Target and, and that don't shop at Walmart and vice versa. If um, back when I was a kid, the big like Walmart chain was, it was called Kmart. And before Kmart was TG&Y. Well, those both are going out of business. TG&Y has gone out of business. Kmart is going out of business. It's because there's a shift. And just because they sell the same product and they do the same thing, they have the same amount of stores, It's not you're not owed anything. If you lose the people for whatever reason, then you need to change, you need to evolve, you need to become something else, or you die and you go out of business. So I was uh, driving this morning to get my breakfast, which was a couple fatty, fatty McFat Pants donuts that I ate. But so I'm listening to to uh, ESPN in my Jeep on uh, satellite radio, and there this this lady was talking about L LPGA tour, and I don't know who she was, and that is kind of gonna go to my point here in a second. She was complaining and almost in tears that she said that she is sick and tired of the LPGA not getting the same sponsorship that the PGA Tour is because these women have talent. They have, they're, they're good. They um, have a lot to offer. They work hard. They train hard, whatever. And, and they deserve the same amount of money that these guys do. And it kind of goes to that point of, of equality and men and women should make the same thing. 
And no matter if you're talking about sports or entertainment or just basic economics, it really frustrates me when I hear this. And they were talking about this, the big sponsors that the LPGA has. And a lot of the big sponsors are Asian companies. Why? Because there's a ton of Asians in the LPGA. And golf, I guess, is big with whatever Asians are in it. I don't know if it's Chinese, Japanese, Korean. I don't fucking know. I don't watch LPGA and I don't watch PGA. I think golf's for fucking faggots. So, uh, and I don't mean gay faggots. I mean faggot faggots. So, <clears throat> hey, I was born in the 70s. Give me a break. Um, here's, here's, I guess, where I'm going with this is that if a company gives the PGA Tour money, then they must think that they're getting a return on their investment. They're not donating it. They're not, this isn't a charity. They are making money somewhere. They can show, they can point to some analytic somewhere, some graph that says, okay, we gave $10 million of endorsements to this guy and our revenue went up 20% from when we didn't give him that. So over the course of however many years we keep doing that, we're going to make X amount of money. If they're not looking at it that way, um, yeah, they are looking at it that way. That's what businesses do, right? So that apply that same little graph to the LPGA. They cannot see a return on their investment. And so now these women... Um, athletes or whoever's complaining about this, they think it's a man versus woman thing. They think it's a misogynistic, sexist, something along those lines. The whole women make 75% or 75 cents on the dollar that men make. Okay. The reason why is because the PGA Tour is bigger. And they're bigger because more people want to watch them. And more people want to watch them because they hit the ball harder. They're it's more enjoyable to watch. I don't know. The men are better. You know, whatever the reason is, there's a reason for it, and it's the same reason why I will watch NBA and not L or what's the WNBA. Okay, see, I couldn't even remember what the fuck their league was called, and it's not because I hate women. It's just that it's not exciting to watch women play basketball when I have men playing basketball right next to them. It just isn't. And is it because I'm sexist? I don't think so. I just think that I enjoy the speed of watching someone like LeBron James play over some six foot nine chick that can't even dunk. You know, that's, that's just me. So if there's not, if they're not generating the same revenue, they, they don't have as many fans. Why would someone endorse them? I don't understand that. And I hear it from, and it's, this isn't just women. I hear it from UFC fighters all the fucking time is it's what, what I love about the UFC. Um, and it's, it's like this in other sports too, trust me, but there's an X factor when it comes to women. And if the woman is quote unquote beautiful or sexy, she will get more endorsements. No matter if it's Danica Patrick or Anna Kornikova or Maria Sharapova or, um, you know, Paige Van Zandt or whoever, if sex sells, okay, 
Now, another reason why I like Serena Williams is because I don't think that necessarily the world sees her as like a sexy sex symbol or whatever. She's just a fucking beast athlete. And same with Ronda Rousey, that they were just these beasts that people gravitated toward because of talent. Just pure, raw, man, this bitch is good. But a lot of the other women, it's just because of the sex appeal. And they're, they're good, but let's be honest, it's they're, they're attractive. And so those women can actually make more than their male counterparts. But for the most part, if you are an athlete or an entertainer or anything like that, um, you have to have something. You've got to bring something to the table. You can't say, well, my record is better than this guy. And so, I mean, there's guys in the UFC that have a better record than Conor McGregor that don't make near as much. It has nothing to do with that. It's that he has that it factor. He has that charisma. He has something extra. And so to say that it's not fair, well, that's anti-American. America is about that I find a way, I find my hustle. I find a way to make make my money and uh, be something different than the next person. I don't know where we, where we came up in this country that everything has to be fair. I think everybody should get like this base amount. Sure, if, if, if I work at a factory, everybody should make the exact same amount because this guy's not making any more money than this guy for the, for the company you know, in theory, right? But there's something, some way, some analytic or some graph to show that this employee, employee A is making, you know, an extra million dollars for the company that employee B is not making, then yes, he deserves more money. Employee A deserves more money. And those unions will say, no, 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 it's got to be, everyone's got to make the same amount. That, well, that's just not true. There's people that bring certain things to the table and bring more value to that company. So they deserve more compensation. And you are a fucking idiot if you don't think Conor McGregor brings more to the UFC than any other fighter. So he deserves more money. He deserves so much more money. And for all those fighters that are bitching that they're not getting paid enough, you need to sit down and look at the numbers and go, well, how much money am I actually making this company? Not, you know, th- this is what fighters always, always um, uh, get wrapped around is one, they compare themselves to other sports and collective bar- bargaining agreements that other sports have. Okay. And that's a different thing for a different time. But they look at the UFC model and they go, okay, if they make $100 from this, um, from this, this fight here, they give the fighters like 5%, like all the fighters share this, this 5% and, or 10% or whatever it is. And the UFC gets the other 90%. Some will say that that's fair. Some will say that that's unfair. And the only reason I say that it's fair is because the market will always dictate whether or not it's fair or not. Because if it's unfair, then you would see Bellator, 1FC, some of these other organizations able to snatch away the majority of the talented fighters by giving them, you know, 50% of the profits or 40% of the profits or whatever it is. But the the X factor that no one thinks about is the UFC is is such a huge company that you get so many eyeballs on you is that when 
let's say Roy McDonald or um, some of these other fighters that went over to Bellator, for instance, that were super talented, went over there and won titles and went in fights and all this other stuff. Nobody cares. And they're not on anybody's radar because they took a step back and they might be making more money, but they're going to be losing money in other ways because they're just not in the, the forefront of people's minds. Conor McGregor is such a huge star that all he has to do is fight somebody and they become a star, at least for a little bit. And if they, it's a competitive fight, then that person could then become a star. But, you know, Nate Diaz was a star before Conor McGregor, and he just became a bigger one after Conor McGregor. And it wasn't just because of his fighting style. It wasn't just because of his personality. It wasn't just because of his work ethic. It wasn't because of his negotiating abilities. It was all of that. Okay? He was, he, you know, it was all of that. And so there was a time that Nate Diaz didn't get paid shit. And then one day Nate Diaz realized he was worth more than that. And if I've said it before, if you think you're worth more, you know, go talk to your boss about it and put your money where your mouth is. And you'll find out real quick how, how much you're worth if he lets you walk out that fucking door. If you truly make a lot of money for your company, they're not going to let you leave and they're going to make sure that you're happy. And as long as they are making money, they'll pay you whatever they have to pay you to keep you around as long as you're making them money. But if they're paying you so much, they're losing money, what company would do that? And so if you're an LPG player or UFC fighter or working at UPS or whatever else, you always have to understand the market. You always have to understand uh, your value and understand this. This isn't a fair playing field. You're not going to get the same endorsements in the LPGA as the PGA if you know people don't care about your sport as much. It's not and never going to be fair. It, and it's not a sexist thing. We don't like it as much. Male porn stars don't make what female porn stars do. Uh, male models don't make what female models. Why? Because we live in a very sexist society that we like looking at naked women more than we do naked men. There's strip clubs everywhere. There's very few male strip places, right? You know, and that's just the way it is. And we're never going to get around that. There's always going to be restaurants like Hooters. There's never going to be a male equivalent where guys are walking around tank tops and shorts or whatever. That's just never going to happen. And so us as men, we can't complain about that. We just got to find the thing that, that we can exploit to make a lot of money at and, and do that. But you can't complain going, hey, we got to have a, a Hooters equivalent for us too. No woman would sh- fucking show up. You'd have a bunch of fat old women there. And that's about it. You you could not sustain a business model. You can sustain a business model with terrible fucking food and just having hot waitresses because guys are stupid and they will shell out money for that. They'll go to strip clubs. They're gonna go, uh, you know, look at cheerleaders at the football games and all that shit. Okay, um, and that's just the way that our society is. And the only thing that's gonna change it is is money. If, the, if, there's, if strip clubs stop making money, strip clubs go away. If Hooters stops making money, Hooters goes away. And the market will always dictate what is acceptable in our society. If, the, if people, if women golfers had something that people wanted to see, um, 
then they would make more money than the men. But it's hard to compete when you're playing the exact same sport and you can't hit the ball as far, you can't um, putt as good, you can't chip as good, or you can't do anything as good as the men, then it looks like a lower tier. And and it it sucks, but you're you are choosing to directly compete. Just like if I try to directly compete with a woman and go, okay, I'm going to try to be as you know, I'm going to be the next Cindy Crawford or something like that. There's just not much of a market for that. I can't complain that she gets paid more just because the market says because a female model, men and women both want to see her. Women want to be her and men want to fuck her. If there's some hot dude, the men don't really give a shit about Hugh Jackman or whatever else if he's on a cover of a magazine. I mean, Hugh Jackman has to fucking act. He can't just make money off his looks. There is no male equivalence of Paris Hilton out there, you know, or uh, Kim Kardashian or anything like that. It's, It's not because it's unfair. That's just the way it is. And so... You have to understand what you're going after, and that's not an even playing field. And just because you do the same thing that somebody else doesn't mean you get the same amount. You have to show something different. You have to find a uniqueness in anything that you do, and you can get rewarded for it as well. And this is coming from a guy that gets paid the same as everybody else. I'm not I'm not special. This, you know, I don't make any money off this uh, podcast. There's nothing uh, special about it. But if Joe Rogan makes uh, this much money and I can't go, well, you know, I do the same type of podcast. And if I did the same amount of podcasts or whatever, it's not fair that he gets paid more than me. Yes, it is. Because a sponsor pays him because a sponsor sees value in that. And, and because Joe Rogan can go, look, uh, how many downloads I have. This is how many people listen to your fucking sp- to your, you know, live read or whatever, and he can negotiate that money. It's not a fairness thing. It's, you know, that's why I hate like Patreon and some of these other things, or you hear people saying, Hey, donate to my podcast. No, that's, that's charity. You're not, you're, you're saying it, even though I'm not entertaining, even though I, um, people don't want to pay for this, I still want your charity to keep this afloat. Why don't you give charity to Kmart? Why don't you give charity to JC Penney's? You know, those places are going out of business because they did not change with the market. And you need you need to find some some other way of of being successful or just don't. If if it's you know, if if this isn't successful, then it wasn't, you know, it, there's there's nothing unique about it. There's nothing, um, what I'm saying is it's it's not an even playing field. And y- it's always amazing to me how many patriotic Americans that I talk to and they want everything fair and even and balanced. Um, it, it's a rough world and that's just not the way it is. Sometimes, you know, um, you can you can be a hunt a hunter. Let's just say you're, you got uh, two cheetahs, and this cheetah is the fastest fucking cheetah, and he's running after all this all this shit and fucking running, 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 can't catch anything for whatever reason. You know, maybe he's running over some rocks or these, 
you know, antelopes or fucking, you know, going into some water and the cheetah can't catch him or whatever. And then there's this slow cheetah. He's not very good. But he just comes across a fucking wounded elk or antelope or whatever the fuck they eat. And he didn't even have to run very fast and he tackles that bitch and he has a fucking meal. That's not fair. Okay, but like I said, talent meets opportunity. He had an opportunity, he capitalized on it. The other one's trying to force an opportunity that maybe wasn't even there to begin with. And so it's there's no rhyme or reason to something that gets big and something that doesn't. Uh, I mean, you can. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and I can see and go, okay, there's a lot of quality in this writing. There's a lot of quality in the character development. And there's other things that are big, like Honey Boo Boo, that you can't say any of that, but it got huge for some reason. And you can't then be a different TV show and go, but we're better than Honey Boo Boo. Why can't we make more money than them? It's just not the way the world is. It, you can't, uh, it's not an apples to apples comparison. And so instead of just bitching about it, um, try to find where you do have value and you know, try to increase your value. Don't just expect and try to guilt people into you know, like this lady that was talking about the sponsorship and the LPGA. I mean, she was like speaking out against these companies that you support the men, you need to start supporting the women too. Why? They're not supporting the men because they're pro-men. They're supporting because they're making money. And and I I can't stress that enough. I don't know why people are confused about that shit. If there is a man out there that makes, you know, 25 cents more an hour than a woman, I guarantee he makes more money for that company. Because I guarantee if that woman made more money for that company, she would get paid more. She would get rewarded more. That's just the way it is. Okay. They always compare. It's like, well, this CEO for this company is a female and this one's a man and he gets paid $30 million more than she did. Well, her company's going out of business and his isn't. And they always make that comparison. You show me a woman like Oprah who's super successful. Where's the male counterpart that makes more money than Oprah? That's what I'm saying is if you showed me a CEO of a billion billion dollar company that was making a billion dollars in profits, I guarantee she's making the same as the male counterparts. You know, that's just how I see the world at least. All right. I have a whole list of things I want to talk about in this podcast and I got to exactly zero of them. Actually, at the very bottom of this page says McGregor McGregor Mayweather. So I actually... actually talked about one of them. So, hey, that's almost an hour in in the bag. Um, I was glad to be able to crack the mic again uh, to all those people that were tweeting at me and asking if everything was okay and, uh, you know, what's going on with the Afoot podcast. It was, in, in a nutshell, um, it was just me wanting to live my life and take a little break from from this and, and just recharge the batteries. You know, there's a saying, I think I actually... It's actually from Game of Thrones, but there's a lot of meaning behind it. And the saying is, you don't want to just read about the accomplishments of better men. Um, I think it's Samwell that his father told him that or something. And it's true. There comes a point where you got to stop, you know, um, researching and reading and looking at other people achieving things and you got to go try to achieve something else. Um, 
even though McGregor made a hundred million dollars and I'm never making a hundred million dollars, I have the own, my own things, my own challenges in my life that are comparable to that challenge of him stepping to the boxing ring against Floyd Mayweather, um, that no one knows about that no one sees, but it's for me, it's important that I go do those things. So when I come back to do this podcast, I have something to talk about and I'm coming from a perspective of not, this is what I think, but I've never put it into action. I, I like to just talk about things that I've experienced, things that I see from a certain perspective of, of always working hard and pushing forward. So um, that's what I've been doing. That's the reason why you haven't heard this podcast in a while. And I don't know if I'm going to get back on a regular schedule. Uh, my work is I'm working probably 20 more hours a week than I was um, before I moved, but I'm sure it'll calm down eventually. But like I said, there's no excuse except if I want to do it or I don't want to do it. The important thing is about this podcast is if you are downloading it and you are listening and you are supporting it, the only promise I'm going to give you is if you're, if right before you listen to it, know that I wanted to do that. I didn't do it because I had to, or just trying to get content out there or just trying to get, Hey, I did another podcast or whatever else. Your time is important. My time is important. And so there's got to be a reason to crack this mic uh, as far as I'm concerned. And I do not want you to support this podcast just to support it. But I do appreciate everybody who finds something in it for whatever reason that you listen to it. Thank you for listening to it. And if you know you want to spread the word, spread it. Afootpodcast.com, um, afootpodcast at Twitter. Hit me up. Send me a message. Um, tell me anything that you would like me to talk about. Or uh, there, if there's a subject matter that I, you know, I need a little bit more of an education on, send me a link or, you know, give me your perspective. But, uh, you know, this podcast is, is a hobby, is something that I enjoy doing. And like I said, it's, it's a journal as much as anything else. Um, so I appreciate the listenership. And until next time, everybody, peace out. <laughs>